Chapter 11, Part 3 from the sermon series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Doug Cho. Here we are, we're at John 11. We're wrapping this thing up. We spent the last few weeks on it in our series of John. And so as we meditate on this last part of this chapter, I think it's important that we reflect on two questions, two questions that I have for you today. The first one is, how much of God's promises and power do I believe for myself? Right? How much? And I actually want you to think about this right now. Rate yourself one through 10. Don't share, but just rate yourself. One being like, I'm super skeptical, dude, of God, what God can do and like his miraculous power. 10 being like, I would not be surprised that if someone prayed, like a leg would grow back or something, right? So one being like super skeptical, 10 being like, wouldn't even phase me. I'm expecting it, okay? Great. But the other question that I think we need to ask ourselves in this is, it goes hand in hand, is how much do I believe that I will witness God's glory for myself with my own eyes? Because a lot of us can say, yeah, it happens over there, wherever there is, right? Far away. It happens I hear of it, and I used to get so annoyed because I had a professor at my seminary, and he'd always pray about, like, the healing that he had done or he had experienced. He's like, oh, my hand would grow hot, and there would be a lump on their body, and boom, it's gone. I'd be like, that's nice, right? He'd be like, oh, I'd pray for sickness and ailment, and this person that had, like, terrible crippling back pain, they would straighten up, and then they would just walk like, okay, so I guess it happens. But over there, you know? And unfortunately, as I um, was studying this word, I realized that I have a confession that I have to make to everyone. Um, so I'm so thankful for our church uh, many of you know that uh, my family is in a season of just calling upon the Lord and asking for him to really provide and be gracious and to show us his glory um, with my dad's cancer. Right? His, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer last a little over a year ago. And we have been in this season of just praying and calling out to God. And we were sending email updates. We went out to Korea for six weeks to see him. We flew him here. We've been taking him to the hospital. And it's been a long ride. And many of you have covered us with prayer and have encouraged us and have put a hand on. And it's been, it's, it means a lot. It really does. It goes a long way. And I have to confess that, like, you know, in the beginning, we prayed for healing every day. You know, God, heal his body. We believe that you do miracles. You are a miracle worker, God, that cancer is not bigger than you, Lord, and that you will heal him. Zero cancer cells for the glory of God. And that my father would meet you, that he would meet the living Savior, and that he would give his life to Jesus. And we've been praying that. And as 
the time has gone by and as each treatment has kind of like failed us. So we're on our fourth treatment now, not, not the fourth round, our fourth treatment for a different type of drug. It's been hard. And so my confession is, uh, confession is, is I don't pray that prayer as much anymore. I don't pray for healing as much anymore. And there have been other things in, in the past that I have prayed for desperately for a short while that I stopped praying for. You know, like ever since I was born, ever since I can remember and beyond that, my parents' marriage has been very rocky, very abusive, very toxic. And, you know, I would pray, God, breathe life into their marriage. Breathe life. Breathe love, that they would love each other passionately, that they would sacrifice for one another. And they do sacrifice, but their sacrifice is always painful, and it's always a net negative. But that they would be united together, that they wouldn't blame each other, but that they would see each other, that they would come to understand each other. And that they wouldn't tell me things like, it's too late. But I stopped. And a lot of it is because I like to think myself as a realist, right? A realist is someone who, you see that the landscape, the situation, the circumstances of what's happening around you. And you say, you know what? These are the cards that I've been dealt with, so I'm going to deal with it. This is, this is what we have here. This is our situation. But I need to repent of this because as I was sitting on this passage, I realized that in my realism, and perhaps for many of you, in our realism, we diminish the power of God's, we diminish God's power in our hearts. We diminish God's power. We make it smaller than And I know that there's so much loss in this room. I know that there's so many seemingly unanswered prayers in this room. I know many of you who have had sick ones who succumbed to ailment, relationships that didn't work out, marriages that didn't work out, painful memories, abuse, oppression in your lives. And a lot of times what we're taught is we grieve these things and we move forward. We grieve these things and we move forward. But if I truly believed that God is able and that God is willing to show me his glory, even after my prayer doesn't seem like it was answered, wouldn't I approach the throne of God and inquire and say, Lord, will won't you show me your glory now? Will you show me your glory now? Because I don't see it. I know you have plans for me, Lord. Plans to prosper. Plans for hope. Plans for your future. But God, it feels like I'm still in exile. Won't you show me, God? Because your word tells me that you are willing and scripture tells me that you are powerful. 
I want to see your glory for myself, God. So if I truly believed these things, I believe that I and we, we would posture ourselves differently before him. If we truly believe that God was greater, God was mightier, God was above anything in this world, we would be on our knees in worship and we would praise the name of the Lord because he is far more good, far more powerful, far better than anything that we can get here. And so I repent because I don't want to live that life where I, I, I follow after a powerless God. I want to be in worship to a God who not only knows my pain, my anxiety, my fear, my loneliness, my tiredness. Some of you, I can, we sense it right now. Some of you all here are tired. I know you're tired. But that God is greater than that. But not only is he greater, not only is he capable, but God is willing. He's willing to come into your life. He's willing to speak over you. He's willing to touch and heal you. He's willing to give you peace. He's willing to draw you out of a situation because God is greater. And God, we worship you because of that. Because that is who you are. And so if you're sitting here in your realism, and you say, ah, I don't know about that. I want to challenge you today. Can we repent of that and proclaim a powerful God, a big God? Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to read the word. We're going to read our scripture today, and then we're going to pray. I just want to read it for you one time. But before we read this, I want us to have a certain mindset. I, I'm going to call it a C.S. Lewis mindset, right? C.S. Lewis says this, right? Either call Jesus a madman, call him insane, or call him a demon, or call him the son of God, right? Do not diminish him to being just a good teacher. Jesus is either crazy, evil, or he's the son of God. Okay? That's the perspective I want us to have today. This is John eleven thirty eight. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. This is the word of God today. Let's pray. Let's commit this time to the Lord. Um, yeah. I want to lift up two people today. There's some in this room that, you know, life has been a grind and you've come, become accustomed to that grind. Your baseline is stressful, but you walk with it. And when you come to church, you do it out of duty. You do it because, you know, somewhere in your heart, maybe you know it's the right thing to do. I want to lift up that person right now, if that's you. I pray that you encounter the living God face to face today, right now in Jesus' name, and that he would shatter your expectations in reality, that he would break your baseline, and that you would be overwhelmed by him. And I pray for those who are tired. Those who have come in with things that, maybe you're not physically tired in the moment, but you have things and you're tired. I pray that you too would encounter the living God and that he would give you peace beyond anything you know. Rest beyond anything you've ever experienced. So, Father, we pray that you would sweep over this room, that the train of your robe would fill it, that, Lord, we would encounter you because that's all we need right now, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit come and speak, that, Lord, you would be pleased, that this time would be pleasing unto you, and that, Father, your word would be done. Plant it deep into good soil. We love you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. So the tone of the scene is actually really important, right? It's a famous scene, and there's a lot going on in it. But a lot of times we don't quite understand what's happening here because we don't, the, the English language actually fails us, to be honest. So I'm going to back up a little bit to last, a little bit of last week's scripture that Pastor Kevin spoke on. Right? We're going to go to verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Right, so if you take notes or if you have uh, a Bible with you, this is something you underline. Deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Because when we see that term, deeply moved, a lot of times in English, what we think of is Jesus is sad. Jesus is sad. And there's truth to that. Jesus is sad at the death of his friend. Jesus is sad at a situation. But that's half of what that, the word, that, what that word means there. Right? When we see that word in scripture, right, it, because it happens a lot throughout scripture, what it actually means is Jesus is indignant. Jesus is angry. A lot of times when we see that word and when you translate it from the Greek, Jesus is actually yelling at people. He's giving them a stern warning. That's how it's translated a lot. Right? So Jesus is deeply moved in that he's sad, yes, but Jesus is indignant. He's angry about something, okay? And then now there's that word troubled. Jesus is troubled, right? If we could translate that a little bit better, it would be Jesus' spirit is being stirred up right now. Something inside of him is being stirred up. So right now we have a Jesus who's sad at a situation, but he's getting riled up about something, okay? Deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Verse 34, where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept, or more accurately, Jesus wept silently to himself. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And then we get to our scripture in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. So the question naturally follows, why is Jesus indignant? Why is Jesus upset here? Okay? I want you to think about what happened last week. Right? Pastor Kevin preached about Jesus proclaiming another I am statement. Jesus proclaims that he is the resurrection. He is the life. And that's such an interesting thing, especially in this scene here at a tomb. Right? Jesus has proclaimed that he is the resurrection and he is the life. He has proclaimed that he's literally the opposite of death. Or in other words, he is the opponent of death. And he has come to a place of death where people who are there with Mary and Martha who are mourning with them are wailing. Right, The word there they use is wailing because they're crying, they're mourning the loss so much. They have resigned themselves to death even though resurrection stands in their midst. Even though he has declared himself as the resurrection, they're unable to see beyond the death of their friend. They're unable to get past the fact that he's gone. 
If you, if you look into what Mary and Martha both say to him, they say, Jesus, if you had been here, he would not have died. Yes, I believe that, but he's gone now, Jesus. He's gone now. And then they stop there. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Do you believe me? And you know, Martha, she, she, she's so great. She says, yes, I believe you're the Messiah, but he knows she doesn't quite get it. What it means. So this scene where there's just so much death, there's so much resignation to death, yet resurrection walks with them right there. He walks with them. You know, uh, before in chapter 10, Jesus declared himself the good shepherd. And he says, no one, nothing snatches you out of my hand because you've been committed to me into the Father's hands. Right? They cannot comprehend the height of the power of God and the depth of his love. And then Jesus gives us three commands here. Right? We see three commands here in order to witness the glory of God. The first one is take away the stone. Take away the stone. Verse 39. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been there four days. See, tombs were generally caves. Right? If you had money, you had a cave. And that's where you laid your dead. But if you had money, obviously, the, you know, there's some riches there. So people rolled big stones in front of the caves in order to seal those things away. One, to keep the body protected from grave robbers. Right? But also, you know, the stench that comes from the putrefaction and the rotting that naturally happens from decay over time. And so imagine with me, you are literally at the mouth of a cave with a large rock, a heavy rock rolled in front of it. Okay, so Martha's reaction is actually quite sensible here. You know, Jesus says, move the stone. Martha says, wait, 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 wait. First of all, that stone's heavy. Second of all, God, he's been there for four days. He's been dead for four days. Like, it's not going to be pretty when you go in there. And if you've been in a cave, caves are gross. Like, they're not, like, clean and dry. They're, like, damp, you know? Caves are kind of, they're wet. They're moist. Right? I hate that word, right? Caves are moist. So Martha's reaction is very sensible to what's happening here. Verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Believe, better translated, did I not tell you that if you had confidence in me? Did I not tell you that if you had faith in me, you will experience the glory of God for yourself? You will witness the glory of God for yourself? And this is what we see here when we see this stone. Faith in general, our faith in general is, these are all the things that we've given up on. These are all the things that we have declared dead. We've buried them. We've sealed them away. And we said, you know what? This is gone. This is done. 
this is no more. There's no hope for me in this place anymore, so I'm done with it. You know, for me, I really believed that God could do anything. I really could say that. You know, God, you can do anything. God, you are almighty. God, you are powerful. God, you are amazing. You're Emmanuel. And I've seen him work in my life. I can say that. But there are things in my life that I've buried. You know, I mentioned them before. But there's so many things that, you know, God, it's okay. Let's just leave that there. And I've kind of sealed it away because why? One, it's ugly. It's painful. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to deal with it. It's hard. So I say, God, that's okay. That's okay, Lord. Believing in Jesus, having confidence in Jesus, means that we're moving a stone. It means that we move this rock. And I'll tell you, that's hard work. You don't just move it. Self-examination is hard. Looking at something again is hard. How many of us had hopes and dreams that have been crushed? How many of us are just, we just on the grind? Every day, day in and day out, with no hope for something better. But if I keep my expectations low, at least I won't be disappointed. Jesus is saying, if you keep these things sealed away, you will never experience the glory of God. If you don't move that rock, you will never experience the glory of God in your life. Believing means rolling the stone. Believing means risking the stench. Believing means looking at death again. Roll away the stone. What's there? Verse 41. So he took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. His prayer is really interesting here. It's in the past tense. Father, I thank you that you heard me. Well, we didn't see Jesus pray anything here. Father, I already prayed it. And Jesus isn't like, dear God, I need power. Thank you for power, for resurrection. Amen. No, Jesus just prays. Thank you that you heard me. And what this tells us here is Jesus had been praying already. Jesus waited two days. Lazarus passed during those days. He didn't rush over. He waited. He took his time to come. But Jesus had been praying, advocating for his brother Lazarus. Lord, bring life where death is right now. And so that's why he prays this here. Father, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. I know that you have heard me already. But I said this for the people standing before me. Past tense. Jesus has been advocating already. 
And what this tells us, Jesus will advocate for us even when we won't advocate for ourselves. Jesus will advocate for us even when we won't advocate for ourselves. Jesus is more faithful than we are. Jesus is more faithful than we are to ourselves. Jesus is faithful when we don't have any more faith. Jesus is praying even when we've given up on praying because he's willing, because he loves you. We have a high priest that sits at the right hand of God the Father who is advocating for his people. He is more faithful. And that's why, Lord, I thank you right now and I repent, Lord Jesus, for the prayers I have not prayed. But I thank you, Lord, for each prayer I have not prayed. You have prayed a thousand. And I thank you, God, I thank you, Lord, that things like my Father are not in my hands, Lord, but they're in yours because you are so much more faithful than I am. Jesus is more faithful than we are. He advocates for us even when we don't advocate for ourselves. Move the stone. Fight to witness the glory of God. Verse 43. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And this is our second command. Come out. Quite literally, from death to life. This is Jesus' invitation to us. Even though we're six feet underground, even though we're sealed in a tomb, even though we're halfway in the grave, Jesus says, come out. Get out of there. I want you to remember, if you're a believer, when you first met Jesus, when you first believed, how beautiful that moment was when you first knew the love of God, the grace and the mercy of God in your life, the tears that you shed, the joy that you felt, how overcome you were when you felt God's love for you for the first time. Do you remember that? Do you remember when you first heard Jesus telling you, come out, get out of there, step into the light, live freely and fully? God calls us to come out. And when he calls you to come out of the cave, it's not this half and half. There is no space for half-dead people. But it's this concept that we live into, that we remember, that we learn, that no sin, no past, no mistake, no failure is too heavy for the cross. 
And this is offensive to some. Because they feel like, oh, maybe some sins are different than others. No, there is no sin that is too heavy for the cross. Jesus calls out to death and he says, come out. He says, come out. And you know, this reminds me of when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman. This woman who thirsted. This woman who only knew of the well that was in her town. This woman who was ashamed. This woman who was an adulteress. This woman who was an outcast. And when she meets Jesus, she doesn't draw water. She becomes a wellspring. And he sends her and she evangelizes to her whole town. That even me, a sinner, can stand and proclaim the word of God. That even me, a sinner, even me, a fornicator, even me, a liar, even me, a thief, can stand before you and say, God has called me out. And I can stand before you and I say, God is good and he is glorious and he has a plan for you and he wants to prosper you and he has called you too. He has a purpose for you and he loves you and he has pursued you and he has fought for you and that you, a sinner, can go out and proclaim the same. That we are adequate because the spirit lives inside that we are powerful because we've been called to be a priesthood of people who live, who lay hands, who bring back to life, who heal, who speak the truth, who remember a Savior who has done it all. God is good. Amen. Verse 44. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and the cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. We have our third and final command here. Take off the grave clothes. Grave clothes were actually just linens tightly wrapped around the body. Think of a mummy, like literally. Like this man was literally bound by death. And some of us, we have found life in Christ, right? We've proclaimed the gospel in our lives. We accepted Jesus into our hearts, but we still live like we're dead. Grave clothes are not for living people. But some of us live like we still wear them. This is our shame. This is our past. This is our failure. This is our guilt. This is our anxiety. This is our fear. This is our uncertainty. This is all the inadequacy that we might feel. This is our comparison. This is our envy. This is our broken marriage. These are our relationships. This is our singleness. This is the death that we feel each and every single day. God says, you take that off. This has no part of you. People who are fully alive do not wear grave clothes. Shed those things. That is God's command to you. Shed those things. Be healed of those things. How has your life been marked? By the life that you've been given through Jesus. Are we marked by gratitude and thanksgiving? Or are our lives filled with grumbling and sighing? 
Do we pray and rejoice always? Do we give thanks in all circumstances? Or is it just so unsatisfied because we fill ourselves with all these things and there's just this void inside of us, an empty vacuum that takes and takes and takes and takes. You know, if we are anything like the Pharisees at the end, ones who are consumed by our own agendas, consumed by only what we see before us, selfish desires, we will never see the glory of God. These Pharisees are consumed with a plan, an agenda to keep power for themselves. And even though resurrection walks right in front of them, even though a dead man comes to life right in front of them, they can't see God's glory. That can be us too. Shed the grave clothes. Rid of those things. You know, um, when my dad would tell me stories about himself growing up, it was always like how hard his life was. You know, he was, he was an immigrant, like many of our parents in this room. He was always telling me about how hard his life was. And there's always something, this image that stuck out. He was always telling me about what he ate when he was poor. Because he came to America with nothing. He did manual labor. And he would always tell me he would eat a potato every day. He would eat a potato because the potato would make him full. Right? And on a good day, if he had some money, he would eat a potato and then he would get a hot dog. Right? But if he couldn't have a hot dog, potato. And, you know, he worked all these hard jobs. He uh, did all this manual labor. And then finally he opened up a liquor store in, like, Brighton Beach. He opened up a vegetable store in, like, Washington Heights. He was in Queens in the 70s, 80s. Did all these things. And he experienced all these troubles. He was robbed. He was shot at. He was beat up. He was threatened. And he went through so much hardship with my mom. They lost their first son. You know, he was born with sickness, and he passed away six months later. And he tells me that all his life, he experienced so much grief and regret. And excuse my language, he would, he would curse his life. He would say, this damn life of mine. And he would tell me these stories almost to like justify why he missed out on a lot of my youth. Right? When I was from like about when I was in middle school to high school and college, he was gone for about six, seven months out of the year. Because he was making a business for himself. He was making a living. He was trying to do well. He was moving on up. And he was explaining how hard things were in order to, to make this living, to do these things. And I remember maybe five, six years ago, 
we were talking, and he was like, you know, I'm going to enjoy my life now. He was telling me about how he was going to really embrace. He's not a believer. He's like a hedonist to the T. He's like, I'm going to enjoy my life. He's going to go play golf. He's going to travel. He had this plan to only stay where it was warm because New Jersey is too cold in the winter, all that stuff. He's like, I am going to just enjoy my life for myself. Until he got his cancer diagnosis. And that plan got cut short. And I remember, oh, I remember we were talking because, you know, we go to chemo. It's, it's an 11-hour day. We get there at like 7.30. We leave at like 6-ish. The medicine is strong, his heart, his cancer is aggressive. And I remember he was just talking and he was like, what, it, what was it all for? Why did I suffer so much? Like, what did I suffer for? You know, and he would kind of console himself a little bit. He's like, oh, I did it for my, for, for, for my kids. I did it for you. but then he would kind of just trail off and sigh because he's resigning himself away. Now, he's 77. He is quite literally on the razor's edge of his life. But if I believe that God is able and that God is willing. If I believe that God is good and he desires good, that he is willing, that he wants me to witness his glory, then I must believe that when I pray, that when I lift him up and I say, God, I want my dad to witness your glory, he will come through. Even now, even and in this last moment, I will believe that my father will receive and experience resurrection for himself. That I will believe that my father will receive resurrection for himself, that he will experience new life in Jesus. And if I truly believe in his goodness, then I have to pursue that every single day. Then why aren't we doing that? This is not just about me and my story. But as a collective, do we believe in the power and the mercy and the goodness and the grace of God? Yes, but do we also believe that when Jesus says, I am willing, that he really is willing, that you are going to witness the glory of God. And when we say witness, we say, you will experience in your heart the glory of God for yourself. That is not something that happens over there.
then again, I believe that we will be on our knees and we will pray prayers profusely before him, laying down whatever it might be, laying down whatever has died in front of us again and again and again at a cross that we believe where resurrection happens. I will do it again and again. And even if my father passes, I will go to God again and I will say, Jesus, would you show me your glory once more? Because I don't see it right now. That there's peace for the people who have anxiety. That there's calm for those who feel fear. There's power for those who feel powerless. There's healing and restoration for broken marriages. There is love for those who are single. But there is glory for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for this time. We commit it to you. Right now, um, I just want to ask that if you're any of those things, I mentioned the sermon that you just, you want to witness the glory of God. Or you haven't witnessed the glory of God in a while. I want you to raise your hand so that we can just pray a prayer for you. Thank you for raising your hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for raising your hands. We see you. You can put your hands down. I want to challenge you right now. Before we pray, I want you to go to the throne of God and say, God, I believe. But Lord, won't you show me your glory? This is a prayer Moses prayed when he met with God in his tent. And God said, okay, sure. I'm going to challenge you to tell him, yes, I believe God. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief, God. I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. Because it feels like all I have is death. I want to experience the resurrection. So, Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness. I pray for all those who raise their hands, the tired, the burdened, the weak, the ones who have Become calloused, Lord. 
the ones who've given up on dreams, of hopes. God, I pray for fire. I pray that fire would come and you would ignite them, Lord. That they would feel the passion of your love, the goodness of your pursuit, and that they would dream again of the promises you have for them. God, I pray for healing and restoration. That yes, you are with us in times of trouble. You are with us in the valley. But Lord, you do have promises. I pray that they would move their stones. So God, we lift this up to you. I commit these people to you and trust in your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.